0: When, Trisha when, when you when you agreed to do this and then you said oh I'll have Brad come on too I'm like oh wait I get both this is even better <laughs> but we are live I can see that so welcome everybody to making awesome season two episode 24 we are here hanging out with the virtual founder we got Trisha and Brad they are the powerhouses of what make the virtual foundry awesome. And I could go into what everything is that the virtual foundry is, but I feel like I can't do it justice. Trisha, do you mind introducing yourself, talking a little bit about the company, and then Brad, you'll be next.
1: Yeah, happy to. Thanks, Grant. I really appreciate the invitation to come and talk to you today. Uh, I know it's going to be a lot of fun. So, yes, I'm Tricia Seas. I'm the president of the Virtual Foundry, which means I do all the business stuff here. Um, you're going to hear from Brad next. He handles all the science, uh, which I'm very thankful for. Science is not my strong suit. Um, and it, he's uh, awesome at it. So it works really well. So what we're all about here is possibility. And we, we, and we provide that possibility through metal 3D printing at, that's accessible to everybody. So our main product is Filament, which is metal filament that works in common off the shelf FFF, FDM style 3D printers. So you're printing this metal filament, which is made of metal powder encased in a plastic binder on your regular 3D printer, and then you can go through a debind and heat process to get that plastic out of there, fuse those metal particles together, and now you've got a full metal part that you printed on your Ender 3D printer or any other FDM style of 3D printer.
0: Yeah, it's kind of amazing. <laughs> Brad? For sure question? Yeah, so tell us about yourself, let us know. <laughs> Sorry,
2: okay. <clears throat> right, okay, so um, I started out, actually when I started this project, I was uh, an application developer, software engineer kind of thing, a giant insurance company, and I had spent about a decade in a cube and was just, I was done. And uh, 3D printing came along and kind of, it was particularly interesting Um, as a software developer, because it had everything you need. It's got data, it's got logic, combined with some really cool robotics. Um, So I immediately became interested in it. And I put together, I got a printer bot simple, the, uh, the plywood and zip tie version of it, which was pretty cool. So I spent a few weeks putting that together. I spent another two weeks trying to get my first print successfully and got all done. And I had what, to me, felt sort of like a, a happy meal toy. And at this point, I had already been developing methods of working with metal that were more accessible than having a foundry. So the virtual foundry, the name actually predates my three d printing involvement wow. um, by by at least a decade. So I was working I was working on um, uh, electroplating, electroforming, just anything I could think of to be able to make parts and sculpture that didn't require molten metal. Um, So, and and I had been working with powder metallurgy also, and there's a technology out there called precious metal clays, something that uh, Mitsubishi invented in the 80s. So that concept was pretty mature and it set me on a mission to combine them, to come up with an inexpensive method of 3D printing metal parts and that's how you know that's what that's what kind of set the pace so I spent literally years it's been seven years now I had enough early successes to produce just enough filament in my basement to prove the concept so I used my printer bot simple to print some very oh
0: man old school um, yeah
2: yeah and and so
0: this was (laughs) circa 2011 2012 then right
2: uh, yeah, it sounds about right. We fi- I filed my patent in 2013, and I think, do you know what year it was approved, I, I can't remember. It was like a two or three year process. So, <laughs> so, it, so that, that whole thing took a while. But we had a-, <laughs> I had a We
0: could talk about that if you want. I, <laughs> I am well aware of the problems in the USPTO.
2: That's its own That's its own story. own <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. it is. <laughs> And financing and is also its own story. So, yeah. um, but I was able to pr- produce some parts that looked good, and I did a Kickstarter campaign. So I had photos of the parts that I was making, and I actually gathered some very interesting supporters, and some of them were uh, Lockheed Martin engineers. No kidding right so the moment they saw it, they understood the potential in the way that I do and and part of the challenge over the years has been getting people to understand what I'm what we're trying to do here
0: right
2: and, and as additive manufacturing mm-hmm. evolves that that's just going to continue um, it's an ongoing effort but anyway, so those people, recognized it and um i got an invitation i went out to lockheed martin i actually got to go out there i gave my spiel i gave my presentation i got to speak in the hubble auditorium to all of their all of their engineers it was really cool Um,
0: was that when you peaked because like what we worked with smithsonian like two years into the business and i'm like damn it we peaked way too early was that your peak (laughs) for all of this
2: um i at the time i thought it was (laughs) the tipping point (laughs) But it most certainly was not the tipping point. But having <laughs> buy-in from people that understood the technology and 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 everything around it uh, changed the way that I thought of it. It okay, made it clear. Mean, it made it clear that this could be something that I go into full time. Right.
0: Yeah. So,
2: so you know, that's what I did at that time. I was working in the basement. I was um, extruding material through one of the early versions of extruders that people were making at home were made out of plumbing and windshield wiper motors and things like that.
0: Oh, like a extruder or something like that, right? Uh, uh,
2: Yeah, but a DIY version of it. There was a name for it, but I can't remember it. It was some guy won a contest to come up with the cheapest way to make filament. And and this was it. And it was a a drill bit, some plumbing, a a windshield wiper motor. Uh, And so I made my first few pounds of material that way. Um, So proof of concept done, I had buy-in from some pretty um, high-end, high-end people that that understood it. So I went for it. We did the Kickstarter. I raised uh, about 107% of what we were going for. So we put Mm -hmm. it over the top. And just Kickstarters also don't work the way that you think they do. It's a lot more work than you would expect. And uh, people don't just throw cash at you. So that was, that was also its own experiment, experience. And all of a sudden, I was a new business with 400 orders to fill. And that was also challenging. Yeah, that but must we- have
0: been an oh, crap kind of moment, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've talked about this before on the podcast that overnight success can a lot of times equal failure because oh, yeah. you 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 might not have been prepared to be like all right i needed to raise a bunch of money and i said i would make this stuff i didn't think i was going to get this much right i don't know what the hell we're going to do now was it was it one of those scenarios at that time
2: uh yeah I, that was part of it it was the <laughs> and and when you think about it you can expect the obvious it's going to be hard to make this stuff it's going to be hard to package it the simple things that I overlooked were like people not typing in their addresses properly. Uh, So I did a lot of international shipping. So then things start coming back. And then I didn't, this was Trisha, this was when it was necessary for Trisha to to bail me out. So as things were coming back, I lost track of what we had shipped. It was so it 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 became a, a bit chaotic. But like I said, we got through it. So I used the Kickstarter money to buy a commercial, an antique commercial extruder off of eBay, um, and it's actually still the one that we use now. I've been upgrading it. I put new, more powerful motors on it, um, things like that. Um, I've designed my own screws that go in the extruder. Nice. Um, all the processing equipment that we have are built with um, Arduino. So I'm no kidding. Uh, Yeah, I love the microcontroller stuff. I was way into that before I started this project. So now I'm pretty sure we built a manufacturing facility for less money than anyone possibly could. So we have equipment made out of uh, the swivel part of an old lazy boy, Uh, a chunk of my old aquarium that we use for chilling the water that comes off the extruder. And it's all worked out great. And we're manufacturing at scale with mostly homebrew equipment or leftovers that I bought off of eBay and rehabbed.
0: We've got a bit of a saying here that if it's jank and it works, it's not jank, right? (laughs) Now, do we show it on camera? Hell no. (laughs) You know, like we on camera's got to look a little pretty, but I would say if I'm going to have an ancient machine that I'm upgrading. There really isn't a non-jank way to do it without having a full machine shop at your, you know, at your disposal. And if you had a full machine shop at your disposal, you probably wouldn't have gone with the antique machine. Right. So, right, remember people, high listeners out there in, in the radio, you guys can't just say, I'm going to raise 80 grand on Kickstarter and just figure it out as we go that's not a great way to do it you got to have the plan, and the plan was to get it to get an older machine because if it's old it's probably still good because they don't make them like they used to right yeah you you can you can make those old machines good with a little bit of of tweaking i would have not have expected arduino yep but that's pretty cool to see you know just an eight bit board making it into some of the most amazing metal filament that enders can use. That's that's, that's my little marketing thing for this, is it's metal that you can print in an ender. But that's not 100% right, is it?
2: It is a precursor. And (laughs) lots of this metal 3D printing has become, at least in the cost scale that we're involved with, has become kind of a, some people use it as a misleading term. Uh, MakerBot is on a campaign where they say they make a metal 3D printer and it's under $10,000. But what it really is, is the same printers that all of us use, an FDM printer, but they put BASF, Ultrafuse material through it. So no, that is not exact. and. We really try not to use terms that these are a direct metal 3D printer. That's not, that's not how it works. Hmm. It, it creates a precursor, a green part, but the green part um, can be debound, So you can take the plastic out of it using only heat. So, and I, I've spent years developing this polymer and what it does as you raise the temperature, <clears throat> it vaporizes. Without going to a liquid state in between. So the part doesn't melt. It sublimates. Sublimate? So the binder sublimates at proper temperature. All right. (laughs) So we have a heating schedule. You run it through carefully, and uh, the binder comes out of it, and you're left with a brown part, which is a powdered metal held together by a minimal amount of binder that gets left behind. And sometimes it's a bit of the oxides from the metal particles. Right, It's a part you can pick up, you can hold, and you put it in a kiln and heat it up the rest of the way. The particles weld and you have a pure metal part.
0: So we got a question in the comments from Geek Toy Box asking, how well do the prints hold shape during the kiln process? I know that answer is very much it depends, but yeah. can you go into that a little bit?
2: Right. So there's a there's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. Um and much of much of this depends on how dense you want your parts. Right. So what we've the way it's designed, if you remove only the plastic the distance that the particles move together shrinks the overall part by about seven and a half percent at that point you can uh center it into a rigid pure metal object but it remains quite porous so it's spongy so this is long four if you're willing to or able to work with uh a porous part you can have highly accurate Uh, pieces at the end. And I actually probably should have worked this out with you before, but would it it be okay if I shared some uh, images here? Yeah. Do you want to share your screen? Yeah. Okay.
0: Let me know when you're ready.
1: There's a relationship between the density, the shrinkage, and the potential for part shape change. So the more dense you want your part, the more it's going to shrink, the more potential for shape change. Yep. But these are all things that can <clears throat> so you run through um, the process based on the result you want to get, study the result, adjust the process and so right. on.
0: Yeah. And that's the nice thing. Your, your filament, filament, excuse me, is so affordable and y'all might be looking at saying, wait a minute, my Ender 3 costs less than this. You're printing in metal. Stop it. All right. Stop it. Go look at yeah. what everybody else is charging for this kind of yeah. stuff and then realize the deal you're getting. It is considerably affordable when, when you look at it. And the fact right. that you don't have to do the sintering yourself, you got the ability to do it by all means. But the Virtual Foundry offers sintering with a dedicated partner that they've pre-vetted and done all the work with. So, you know, the parts are going to come back reasonably good as long as they're designed to be made via Metal AM, additive manufacturing.
2: Yeah.
0: You have to design it that way.
2: Right. And there is, <clears throat> so getting into the quagmire, there's a couple other $200,000 solutions out there the Markforge Metal X and the Desktop Metal Studio System. Yep and what they've done is they've designed a slicer that bakes in what you just described so it will let you make mistakes or you know this is their strategy they slice it so that it's more appropriate for uh the debinding and centering process yep. so yep. so using our route you kind of have to understand how it works and program that in and deal with it when you're going through the slicer. And all we we just use Cura and okay. we, and we tell people just set up for PLA, turn your temperature up to 225, turn your extrusion rate to 130 and go. And and you'll get a successful print. Wow. Okay, are you ready to share my screen here? And for years I resisted. I would said I would never do a benchy, but here we are. So this is a pure copper benchy. And I decided to just do it because it's a shape everyone's familiar with. Yeah,
0: everyone knows the benchy.
2: <clears throat> yep. So um, the surface is a bit rough here. I just left it as is. I took this off the printer and, uh, and sintered it. Okay. So when you get in there, you can see each of the each of the line layers is visible. It's easy to see. You have fingerprint level detail.
0: You do, yeah.
1: Brad, when you're um, showing that, that level of detail, what was the shrinkage on that part?
2: Seven and a half percent. Okay, so
1: in that case, you're following the directions that we have posted on our website, mm-hmm. which is going to return about that seven and a half percent shrinkage. You're getting that level of detail. Um, and then the, also the part has, what would you say, Brad? It's like 80, 85% dense density?
2: Yeah, about 85 at that point. So the part that's on your on the screen now, so the one on the left is the benchy off the printer. It's off of an Ender 5. Uh, the green part on the left, the brown part in the middle. So the part in the middle has very little binder left in it, just enough to hold it together. The part on the right, this one's shrunk more like twelve percent, and you can start to see some shifting in the shape of it. And this was my first run, so oh, I would wow. I would do the center job again, and I would be able to get the. There's a bit of slumping in the uh, in the overhang and the uh, in the middle part. I'm not sure what you call it, but I would overcome that with the next iteration. <clears throat> you simply exaggerate the. Uh, the Z or the X or however, however it's shrinking in the uh, in the situation that you've created. And the more you shrink it, the higher the density. So if you shrink it 17 to 20%, you have 98, 99% density.
0: Right, right.
2: And, uh, here, quick one, here's our print farm.
0: So a little bit of everything there. Everything from, is that an Ultimaker 2 or an Ultimaker 3?
2: That's a 5S.
0: That's a 5S. Oh, yeah. geez. To what appear to be Ender 5s, right?
2: Yep. Yeah. all Those yep. are all Ender 5s. Yeah, and so see...
0: quite literally, you can 3D print metal on an Ender.
2: That's all we well, use.
0: Yeah, and if you look way
1: back in the corner on the left, there's our original Ender 3.
0: Yep, there is an Ender 3 back there.
1: Still in use. Love it.
0: And
2: our parts are getting bigger, so we're going to add an Ender 5 Plus here shortly.
1: Nice. Okay. Um, Grant, if you don't mind, I'd like to answer a couple of questions that are coming in. Sure, by all means. Talking about printers. So the printer that's going to work best does have direct drive extruder. Yep. Um, So the Ender brand comes with Bowden tube. We always recommend that you switch to direct drive, and especially dual gear is really going to be optimal. Um, and then secondly, um, someone had mentioned earlier about hard nozzles and yes, definitely you need something harder than brass. You can use brass, it'll just wear away very quickly. So a stainless or hardened steel nozzle sized at 0. 0.6 millimeter or larger. Yep. yep. And then um, Greek Toy Box is also asking about finishing techniques. So once your part has gone through the kiln process, you've got a centered part at the end. It's a regular metal part. So yes, you can do anything to that that you would with regular metal, welding, brazing, um, applying finishes like a patina in the case of copper and things like that.
2: Yeah, we generally point people to jewelers that do YouTube videos. There's just an infinite number of techniques you can use to finish your part.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we said, uh, Anwar just asked that they believe that the Bowdoin tube would make it snap with friction. Maybe, it's, but you guys have yes. a solution to deal with this, right?
1: Right. And it's less about friction and it's more about path. Right. So our material, because of all that metal or that other ceramic or glass um, powder that's in there is more brittle than regular plastic. So the that what you wanna do is make the path from the spool to the printer as straight as possible. So um, as we saw in, when Brad showed our printers lined up, if you could pull that up again, Brad, yep. we have a row of filament spools hanging from the ceiling so that the filament is coming straight down um, into the printer. And then additionally, if you can see them hanging from a bar um, up there, you'll yep. see some filament spools just in the air. And then additionally, we created a tool called a filler warmer that heats the strand of filament as it's coming off the spool. So it's just heating that one strand at a time. Please don't bake the whole spool. You'll wreck the entire thing in one fell swoop. Um, So you were going to only heat that one strand as it comes off the spool, making the path as straight as possible. So when we're talking about a Bowden tube and the material has to wind through that, that's when we're going to have the trouble with breaking,
2: right? That, that being said, you'll notice there's a, an Ultimaker 5S there and those things print metal all day long. We have plenty of Ultimaker users. We do have them use the filler warmer and the filler warmer is literally just, it's a little gadget I made with a piece of copper tubing in it and a heater. Uh, It has a mechanical switch in it at 65 degrees Celsius. So it'll warm up to 65 degrees and it, it always overshoots so we get a cycle of heating and cooling as it goes through it does two things it takes um the memory as it sits on the spool it gets a memory right the filler warmer will make it so that it'll come straight down off of the spool and it also slightly anneals the material so it's actually stronger after it goes through the filler warmer than it is directly off the spool
0: Yeah, the of warmer and this idea of basically wiping the memory of the film of the filament, whether it's regular PLA PETG or metal bound filament is completely been done for years. Right. Yes. Especially yep. for the three millimeter crew. So high Ultimaker and Lulzbot bot users that still haven't figured it out that one seven five is definitely better. Uh, that's why your filament snaps on your spools. If you don't pull it out of your, out of your yeah. reverse Bowden tubes, your Bowden systems, it's because there's a memory in it. It's not because it's wet. Your filament's not wet. Stop it. He says this as I literally have a print that's running above me that actually is suffering from wet filaments. And I'm excited to show it off on our print fix Friday, but nonetheless, um, Trisha, you have an interesting story. Yeah. And I heard your story at the women in 3d printing convention and I said, I got to have you on this podcast. I, I, I heard it. I'm like, wait, you did what? We need to talk about this. I, I, I need to share your story with as many people as possible. And you're like, but I want to bring the material guy too. I'm like, yes, please. Let's do it. But Trisha, I want to hear about your story because you went from being a letter carrier to becoming the president of the virtual founder. Can you talk about how that happened?
1: Well, uh, the path between those two particular roles right. took about 30 years is, so yes. start there, but yeah, I build myself as a trier. I love to try different things. And once I know how to do something well, I move on to the next thing. So yeah. there've been a lot of different, um, jobs. There've been a lot of different hobbies. So I drove semi-truck for a while. Um, I've been a bartender, um, I've did some construction labor, I've managed the festivals in the city where I live, I served on our city council, um, just all kinds of different stuff. I did um, powerlifting for a while and dabbled with personal training. Um, so it's all over the it's all over the place. But the one constant that I had been throughout that entire time is business. Um, but I didn't really get it. I, I thought that I knew or did business because it was the easy path. Well, it turns out I, I love it. <laughs>
2: um,
1: so when I heard about uh, what Brad was working on through his wife in the, his very early experiment time. So Brad and I live in the same city and we've known each other for quite a while through um, the same social circle. And uh, I was good friends with his wife. So I don't mean to say it was, I am good friends with his wife um, and she was telling me about this project um, in the very early days and it immediately sparked me. I immediately understood the potential and the possibility that went with this. Even though I had had almost no exposure to 3D printing, I didn't really understand it. I don't even know if I'd seen a 3D printer at that point but I, but I got it. I knew immediately. So uh, she would continue to kind of talk about it. Um, I would talk about his progress. And um, I started saying things to her like, Hey, you know, when he's ready for some administrative help, you know, know, can you just nudge him in my direction? Um, Well, it turns out, yes, he did need some business help at one point. Brad was managing the science and the business, all of it.
0: It's tough so to do he's that. trying
1: to he's trying to develop it and manufacture it and sell it and raise money and everything all at the same time. So got to a point where um, he just really needed a lot of help. I was at a point in my job where I had I was ready to move on from it. And so he called me in for a meeting one day. We had kind of, we'd been talking a little bit about it. Was I interested? Yes. He told me about the business, things like that. Um, And then set up a meeting with me and I came in and he said, um, I, I feel really weird putting it this way, but will you be my president? And I said, yes, I would, obviously. I I'm here now. I did not understand what I was getting myself into.
2: <laughs> I I, underst- I understood.
0: <laughs> He's like, "She doesn't know. Let's go it. She's good. Let's date." <laughs> <laughs> so how how long ago did you say yes to that?
1: That was mid early 2017. Okay. Not too bad. So my I consider my first official date to be July 1st, 2017, and I kind of started on a part-time basis because I was still wrapping up some projects. Mm -hmm. at my previous work. Um, so then labor day 2017, I think is the time that I really came on full time. Okay. Okay. So I didn't know anything about metallurgy, science, technology, 3d printing, additive manufacturing industry, any of our competitors, nothing. So it was this, as I said, um, earlier, once I know how to do something, well, I don't want to do it anymore. That it just isn't happening here. So there's this constant flow of new things to learn. So it's really been exciting. And I really love this industry because it's full of super creative people doing amazing things all the time. Right. And there's always something new coming out. Um, and there are room for all technology. So as a new thing comes out, it doesn't mean that the old thing goes away. We're just adding more possibility to the pool.
0: I like that, and I would agree with you, right? You guys are kind of taking the norm of metal 3D printing being inaccessible, too expensive, unreliable, and unrealistic for anyone that's not seeing a six-figure salary, saying, how about we change that narrative? You can do this at home. Yes, you have to send it out, unless you do want to buy the sintering, equipment which of course you guys do appear to sell Uh, and you even have all the steps to center it appropriately listed right there which uh hi anyone else out there that does metal am go try to find that on anybody else's website best of luck uh not only will you not find it they will likely not tell you how to do it they'll say you have to buy our machine or you can't do it you guys are making this incredibly accessible to the average home gamer that has one maybe two printers and wants to mess around a little bit and get serious with metal that's pretty amazing
1: we have a very open philosophy so the only thing that we're not going to tell you is how to make the filament right otherwise we want you to know all about the printers we want you to know all about the kilns and by the way you don't have to use our kiln you can use any you can there are a couple of requirements it should be programmable and it should be able to hold the center temperature of what material you're working with. Um, Those are the only two parameters. Otherwise you can get a kiln for a couple hundred bucks if that's the route you wanna go. Um, And we're gonna tell you how to use it. We're gonna support you uh, in using your own equipment to get the result that you want. We're gonna educate you on the difference between us and other people in the metal AM space. Um, It's an educational, very open information philosophy we have here because the more people who, gain the skill the further we can take this brad likes to use the word democratization
0: yep i would agree
1: it's not it doesn't quite roll off the tongue the way that it i'd does. like it to but it really is it's the best descriptor of what's happening the democratization of metal manufacturing so the more people understand about it the more we can move this new next manufacturing revolution forward
0: yeah i i I want to try some of this out. I'm going to have to put an order in with you guys just to try it because I've used your service in the past. We did it for some copper heat blocks that we needed for a very hardcore Raspberry Pi overclock that ultimately resulted in destroying the Raspberry Pi. The the heater block worked great. Uh, Just our settings were adventurous to say the least. The system was perfect. We you told us what the shrink rate would be. We designed it for it. We, we, you know, we had you all print it. It was sent out. It was centered. It was delivered in a couple of weeks. The part fit exactly. I think we, we might've polished the top and bottom surface. So we had better contact, but that was all that we did. The part was beautiful. Um, It's just a cube of copper. (laughs) It was a little cube of copper. It was nothing special, Uh, but it was my first kind of iteration into filament based metal printing. We've operated DMLS machines before where you're using metal powder and a laser to melt and selectively center. Those machines are high six figure, low seven figure for the cheaper ones and multi seven figure for the ones that, you know, the the big ones. And while that is tough to compare the two, it's really not at the end of the day. Right, This technology that you are enabling the average person to have access to is kind of ridiculous. Brad, can you talk a little bit about why you went into this? Because you were previously a software engineer and you decided then... All right, let's go into metal and the both of you have really interesting, like previous lives before you found yourselves into the additive manufacturing industry, Brad, can you talk about what that, what that jump was like for you?
2: Um, part of it was probably being a bit naive. I, uh, (laughs) I had the same level, level of faith in our product at that time that I do now. Um, but I expected adoption of it to come much more quickly. I thought I was—I thought I was going to put an interesting solution out to industry, and industry was going to eat it up. And that's not how things work. Um, <laughs> so where we are now, and so in sort of the uh, in the not home user category, we have a lot of adoption at the R&D level, um, lots of students writing papers. Um, I, I think we're up to somewhere between 12 and 15 uh, thesis papers that have been written by students on our products in various applications.
1: That we know about.
2: Yeah, that we know about. Yeah, we, we, keep,
1: we stumble we, upon them.
2: Yeah, do yeah, they we'll tell find you or them. do you
0: just happen to find them when you're Googling around?
1: Sometimes well, they tell us, otherwise we... we... Kind of happen to find them too,
2: right? And a lot of them are behind paywalls, um, so Yay. we don't so we don't know about them. But the ones that we've found, we've got there's twelve of them, and we uh, we publish links on our website. So the whole thing just worked a bit differently than that I than I understood at the time, and I was just done with software. I'd spent my whole life in software and project management. And there is just something nice about having a physical product when you're done, rather than spending years on a multi-million-dollar intranet project that nobody ever sees, and it's not like you can, uh, you know, show pictures of it to people or things like that. Just having a physical object has been so much better for my my brain.
0: That's fair. I, I we have a, a few of my close friends are in the software industry and they are starting to get 3D printers. And I feel personally responsible for this, so I'm making sure they don't get printers that they're going to hate. But it is interesting to watch them, you know, because again, they're like you, they're they're programming and they're seeing it on a computer screen. Now they're programming and they're able to hold it in their hands. And yeah. it's a completely different Thought process that occurs here. Now, right. was it a slow process for you from that switch, from that move over from software to hardware, more or less, or was it something that you did gradually over the course of a few months or a year?
2: Um, no, it was a hard shift. Um, I left my job and started doing this, and uh, needed it to pay me within months. So,
0: I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> i do um could you explain to the viewers here who aren't immediately familiar about metal 3d printing how the traditional method is done whether it's you know like the dm studio the mark forge metal x or even like a dmls from your perspective because i can explain it and i did a little bit but i feel like i'm nowhere near as qualified as you or trisha to talk yeah. about this.
2: Um, actually, if you wouldn't mind, Tresha, you do a, a very good job conveying this, if you wouldn't mind.
1: Sure. Uh, so the, the we're in the FDM FFF sphere, desktop metal, Mark IV to Metal X, same. Uh, BASF UltraFuse, same. We're all using fused deposition modeling technique, fused filament fabrication. So the 3D printers that are in the desktop metal studio system are the same. The material that's going in them is not in a filament form. It's dust metal makes more like a pretzel rod shape. So they have skirted the challenge of getting the material into that filament line by using a different shape. However, the printing process is the same. And we move up then to the powder bed processes. And there you're talking about direct metal laser sintering and um, binder jetting. So yep. binder jetting, DMLS are using the same basic process where you've got a bin of metal powder and a, a flat surface. So the machine will apply a thin layer of metal powder to that flat surface. surface. In the case of DMLS, it's gonna shoot Lasers at the metal powder in exactly the shape that you're building. Then another um, layer of powder is applied. More lasers, powder, laser, powder, laser, and that's how you're building the shape. And in this case, you're sintering in place as the as the object is being built. With binder jet, it's got that same metal powder layer application, but instead of lasers, it's applying glue right. or a binder. So uh, A layer of powder, glue in the shape um, that you're building, powder, glue, powder, glue. Now, what you've got at the end of that build process is a green part that's essentially the same as what we have here that we've 3D printed, a green part. It's metal powder with a binder applied. Uh, So a binder jet part is also going to need to go through a debind and center process as well um then the you know from there it branches off into every crazy thing so people are trying to actually lay down a a line of metal and um fire it in place or like melt it into place Um, direct energy deposition there's atom there's i mean it gets into all kinds of crazy all kinds of stuff people are coming up with new technologies all the time but really the ones that are really taking hold are the dmls the binary Jet
2: and the FDM style, yeah, and and you kind of notice a theme. The most of them they're based on powder metallurgy, so you're starting you're starting with powder metal and you're binding it together in some way.
0: Now, the powdered metal that is being utilized in your system is it similar to what one would be using on a powder metal system like a DMLS or SLM style? system are are we looking at the same rough granular size or you know or is that proprietary and i don't know
1: oh no it's the same so we're using the same vendors we're buying the same powder
2: yeah we we buy that powder and make it into filament
0: yep that's cool (laughs) that's that's cool okay so the the so theoretically then the big difference between and i'm gonna kind of get rid of dmls on this one because that one that's all about laser spot size um it comes down to quite literally machine positional accuracy and nozzle diameter is, yep. is where your accuracy comes from, right? If, yes. you're,
1: if you're talking about possible resolution and the amount level of detail, yep. It's going to be in the FDM situation, it's going to be layers, layer height and nozzle diameter. Right. So, so
2: our method of metal 3D printing has the same limitations as FDM. So the best FDM that you can print is the best metal you can print
0: but I can print with a 0.1 millimeter nozzle. Why can't I print metal with a 0.1 millimeter nozzle?
2: Then um, <laughs> you can. Okay, so...
0: With a 0.1? There's no way. <laughs> no. The particles... Not, not a 0.1. With
2: yeah. a, we printed our, uh, our tungsten material with a 0.3. Wow. So 0.3 is pretty good. Yeah. All of the numbers that we published are to get people to the most likely success... Initially, that's we recommend that all of the parameters be explored for improvement as you go along. But initially we want people to succeed out of the box. And that is, uh, and that's what our parameters describe. Yeah. Your most likely victory.
0: Looking at your site, it's 0. 0.6 for most of the materials, 0. 0.8 for the high iron, right? Yeah. The high carbon iron. Or high carbon iron, yeah. Which makes sense, right? Lots of, lots of carbon means you're going to need a bigger nozzle. Um, so those out there that are like, well, I want to feed it through a 0.4. If it clogs, it's your own dang fault. Yep. For those, for those that don't have experience printing a carbon fiber, I highly recommend starting with that. Of course, you guys sell a carbon fiber PLA that I saw. So you, yeah. you can start with that material. Learn carbon fiber first, because from what I, from my understanding, they're pretty similar in terms of the ways you print with it right uh,
2: probably you know we don't have a lot of experience with carbon fiber outside of that that we manufacture ourselves oh. and and we use it internally just because it works so much like our metals so maybe you're making a really good point that we should have spotted earlier um, <laughs> oh, but so the main reason <laughs> the main reason that we make a carbon fiber at all is that our superpower is putting additives into filament so I was like, well, okay, well, let's put some carbon fiber in the filament. And we did. And we love, it's what we use primarily in-house anytime we're printing anything that's not metal. Well,
0: the carts right there, the, the, that last cart, the white cart that is full of carbon fiber and glass fiber filled materials. That's that that's our exotic cart. Right. Um, so we do a lot of exotic printing here because people will, generally ask for say well i want carbon fiber filled material or i want metal we get a lot of people say they want metal 3d printing i said okay what's your application oh well you know i've always wanted to make this figurine out of metal i said then cast it Yeah. don't like metal 3d printing is not designed for this you're wasting tons of time and money on it and yes you can do it but they're talking like you know a two inch tall figurine for their dungeons and dragons campaign it's it's not exactly what metal 3d printing is for right
2: yeah you're kind of segueing into one of our key challenges and that is getting people to think of applications that are appropriate for the technology
0: education uh
2: yeah so dfam design for additive manufacturing this is a huge huge topic trisha i think you're about to say something
1: Oh um, yes, if somebody comes to us saying they want the look of metal, um, but they're it, it, the, it's going to be a showpiece, they don't want to go through the heat process, I would direct them to Colorfab.
2: Yeah, printed. If they colorfab.
1: want something, but if they want something with more heft, so we do have people who are using the material for artistic applications, sculpture, um, showpieces, a trophy. Um, and they want something with more of the heft and the feel, um, and a more of a look of metal. Yeah. Use filament. Awesome. If it's not right for everybody, um, especially if people are a little afraid of the price, um, color fab is a great way to go. If you want a metal look without having, without going through the full metal process.
2: Yeah. We have a, we have a, a, a user that's a museum in Italy that reproduces uh, uh, parts like from their exhibits. So then they 3d print miniature busts and things like that out of our material and sell them in their gift shop.
0: That to me is totally fine, right? You're, you're taking a piece of art, you're replicating it in the like material that, that, that falls well within, you know, the realm of, yeah, this makes total sense. And then when you're selling it as an item like that, you get to play the, this is 3d printed card, Oh, Which yeah. I think adds at least fifteen or twenty percent to the value that you can get out of it, right? If it's cast in mass, it's not as cool as every single one of these is technically unique, right? And no two will be the same. Get one today, right? Something, right? Along those lines.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of applications. Some are not appropriate. Um, or another, a key challenge is people come in and they want to like obviously hyperbole here, but they'll say, you know, they want to print a trailer hitch. It's like, no, no, you don't. You don't want to. You don't want to do that. (laughs) No, you
0: don't. Go buy one.
1: (laughs) For an engine part, right. Uh, People want to take, well, we can get into this more. do you want to pay attention to that questions that people are asking? Yeah. But people want to take a part that's been machined. It's a big solid block. And they're like, hey, now I can 3D print it in metal. Well, yes, but there's a better way that we can think about this. Yeah.
2: This is the design for additive manufacturing topic, which I don't think we can talk about enough. Yeah.
0: Defam it is a big deal. Something that if you're not used to doing it, pay somebody because it, it, it will it will be something that you can pick up over time but if you've got a mission critical project pay for it right because it, it, it you know buy once cry once or you're going to do it a few different times we do have a couple of questions and they're all kind of residing around metal in resin so is there any plans for a metal resin so that we could take our resin 3d printers and have resin in there
2: Uh, From the uh, the scientist side of me, I would love to do that. And we've toyed a bit around the edges. We have lots of metal powder and I have uh, a, a pretty nice collection of resin here. But it's not a good time for us to not focus on our on our core business.
0: Yeah, I I've done some testing with it. I know Tom Sadlatterer has tried it as well. He did a whole video on it. The big issue with resin is uh, with resin is that the metal will sink to the bottom, which is right. where the screen or, you know, the, the, the film is so you can use your laser to cure it. And you're going to have a problem with uh, all the metal being, you know, on the first five or six layers and then nowhere else I- I in the parts. So that was always my understanding of what made that difficult is keeping it in suspension.
2: Yeah, there's... Um we have some users that work with uh, a ceramic material that they seem to have some success with i can't think of the name of it
0: that's the porcelite from tethon 3d i think is i think they're one of the few that make a decent ceramic material
2: yeah do you remember trisha we talked to them at rapid
0: i i don't remember
2: i don't either sorry i'd like to plug their product but i can't think of name.
0: Um and we have geek toy box asking aside from carbon fiber filament, which material is best to start with? So it appears they'd like to uh maybe make a purchase. What would awesome. you guys recommend? Something that you start with. Copper. Copper. We recommend what bring
1: Oh, I was gonna say bronze.
2: Oh, but, copper the copper and the bronze are equally easy, easy 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 to use. It was it's our first
1: only copper or bronze. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was our first product. It's the most mature. We have the most experience with it. We have the most people that work with it. So there are other users you can get some support from out in our forums and in our Reddit community, things like that. There's other people to talk to. Um, Yeah, that's the easiest place to start. Also, it's one of the least expensive.
0: Yes, it is. It's actually quite affordable.
1: Somebody had asked earlier about what materials are available. Um, And Grant, I know you shot him, I'll link link to the top. Um, Additionally, we make custom materials too. So the manufacturing process is the same, no matter what final material we're making. So we've got the binder, that's a standard, and we've got the base material that we add into it. So we can do this process with nearly any metal alloy, ceramic, glass product. Um, so we have we do make custom filaments for people. We've made a molybdenum, which I really like to talk about because it took me a long time to say it that easily. And so bismuth, and we've made a moon dust simulant, which is basalt, but um, that project is super exciting. There's a company that wants to build structures on the moon using our technology. Technology or using the uh, the, the filament uh, manufacturing printing centering technology. So they sent us a moon dust simulant to make into three D printing filament. That was super. Moon dust can be other variations of titanium. So those custom projects are a lot of fun. Okay. Nice.
2: And we're getting into even more unique composites. So we'll do a metal combined with a carbon fiber. Uh, we've done. Uh, different, uh, differently doped bismuth for 3D printing in situ thermoelectric cooling devices. So it just gets crazier and crazier. And um, there's one of the more recent papers that we uh, shared on our website. It's a lab in Finland that took multiple different metals that we make and then sent the them into a new alloy after after the processing so they're creating alloys on the fly things like that it's just getting it's getting more and more interesting
0: we just had a bunch of comments come in have you tried centering a vase mode print yes how does that work
2: it, you can it works well it it's hard to not get very tiny gaps between the lines because there's a tendency for the materials to pull apart yeah. but yeah you can print single Layer lines, or you know, either vertical or horizontal, and it uh, they'll center all day long. You can make a piece of oil that you can bend,
0: no kidding, that's cool. Um, this one is from Holler Players. They said, What is the point of printing in metal if it can't be used for strength? I'd like to print some parts that will be strong for props and such, but not if it's too brittle. Well, if it's, it's not centered, it's, it's gonna be brittle, right? Yeah. It,
2: it, if it's centered it has the property of the metal that you're working with so i mean copper is plenty strong for most applications if you need something more rigid use bronze
0: right yeah
1: you're not going to make you're not going to make a part that's under heavy stress right but there are lots of other applications that are not under heavy stress and they're totally appropriate for that
0: see and you so when it's fully centered you can toss it into a mill and mill it down to you know a beautiful finish right
2: yeah in many applications we recommend that people print a near net shape part. So finish up your drilling and machining, uh, as a, as a post-process
0: Yeah, that way, your, your holes are perfect and all, yeah. all the outside needs to be done. Um, red slash ACE asks, wait, does your moon dust smell like gunpowder when it oxidizes? If it does, I need to get in touch. Um, red slash ACE, his real name is Peter Sassaman. He, uh, makes a product called the Scent VR, the Cilia. So they add scent to a VR experience. So he he's oh. a guy all about making things smell good, bad, or at least the way they should. Right.
2: Um, I, I learned more about Lunar Regolith than I ever thought possible. And first of all, there are companies that make uh, simulants for uh, the, the the material on any planet that you can think of, so you can get Martian regolith, you can get lunar, yep. and they're uh, you know supposedly technical technically faithful, but I wouldn't know. But the most interesting thing I discovered about uh, moon dust, well, one is that it's sinterable and two that it has a very high iron content. It'll actually stick to a magnet. Huh. Which I thought uh, I thought that was very very interesting.
1: Do you remember any kind of smells with that material?
2: I do not, no. Some of the materials we work with, like high carbon iron tends to have an odor, odor. Aluminum has an odor that's not very pleasant, but no, not that one. That was pretty inert.
0: We have some questions regarding sterling silver or gold. I don't see sterling silver or gold for sale on the website, but I do know it's possible. I know there are precious metal 3D printers out there. Is it something that you guys have, have tried out before? Not yet. It's a very expensive thing to uh, prototype.
1: Yes. Yeah. So to that point, we are looking for um, sponsors to produce a um, to help us produce a silver and or gold filament. Yeah.
2: Just so just... in
1: this way, basically, what we need help with is procuring the raw material. Okay. Yeah. The metal in powder form.
0: What's the granular size needed? So if you are trying to find someone and they find this video what what would you be looking for from somebody sure what works
1: best in our process is spheroid particles at minus 325 mesh or where the majority of particles are at 45 micron and the rest fill in smaller we can work with other sizes but that's really the sweet spot
2: yeah it gets more challenging when we get to a large percent of it percentage of the powder being submicron right Uh, there's more and more surface area and that's more that needs to be coated with the polymer and that becomes increasingly challenging.
1: So we're Uh, looking for the highest apparent density balanced with the lowest surface area.
0: Yep. So I I can imagine that, you know, when you're making the filament, a little bit of, you know, high, high carbon iron on the floor is not going to make or break that production run, but Right. Someone that sneezes while they're pouring in the gold powder <laughs> is going to be losing their job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I I know EOS makes a precious metal 3D printer. It's based off their uh, P110, but its build volume is tiny. I, I, We looked at it years ago. It was like 230,000, 240,000, but a kilo of gold powder was almost 10 grand so we said eh, that's gonna be a no considering the machine needed five kilos just to operate oh. right yeah oh. that's the
2: other problem with powder bed is it takes so much
0: yeah we'll skip <clears throat> to doing it with resin and then getting it casted thanks right
2: and lost resin uh sla i mean most jewelers that most jewelers know how to do that anyway so yep, those people are works. pretty well taken
0: care of i'm, I'm imagining like trying to work a print so well that there is zero purging because a purge line out of gold would cost me multiple dollars right uh it's cool like from a technical standpoint to say that you can do it but from a practical standpoint i am i am at a loss as to what i would make if i had gold filament other than random things i'd make a gold benchy just so I could ball like that, but otherwise, I don't think there's a big reason from my perspective as a service bureau. Yeah, we're
2: not—we're so not, yeah, we're not right. sure it makes sense, but we are asked so often that we're kind of at a point where I think we just have to make some silver filament.
0: You, you do it just to, just to shut them up, and if they buy it, they buy it kind right. of yeah.
2: yeah,
1: yeah. Silver is used in industry. Yeah, I—I don't know how yet. I. I still need to educate myself on this topic but silver is used in industry so yeah. that's a material that makes a little bit more sense but grant you're right on um with the gold topic um anything that is gold is tiny right and so you're also faced with the limitations of the fdm style of um, object making
0: yeah you guys already have some pretty amazing materials i mean you've got Inconel, which you know kind of god tier materials when you're looking at metals it's a metal that when you hit it it just gets harder right <laughs> you know they make rocket engines out of inconel and right. we, yeah, i am but... trying to convince sj who is kind of you know the the queen of inconel uh to come on the podcast and talk about their experience in metal am right. inconel and... is no joke
2: no, the super, the, the super alloys. Yeah. And there's some really cool stuff going on there. And that's an example where we just take um, that material would have wound up in a powder bed printer had we not bought it and made it into uh, filament. Right.
0: right. And you've also got, I'm seeing a titanium, this zirconium uh, silicate, which is Zircopax is, is the trademark under it. That's really interesting, making ceramic materials. You talk about some of the use cases there, because I'm thinking of some, but they're not all that practical.
2: Um, We, yeah, some of these we got to, we have to be very careful about how we choose our words or some of the coolest things we do are under non-disclosure.
0: Isn't that the worst (laughs) to us. People talk
1: to us about the ceramics in heat applications yeah right
0: that's where i was looking Uh, at too insulation and yeah kiln
1: furniture uh
2: dielectrics places where you need good insulators
0: yep yep um we just got a question from chris polk he is a little bit behind um he said what does the centering oven and kiln landscape look like these days i know you guys sell sell one you have your 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 centering partner but what does it look like for the average person these days
2: it's trending toward affordability the um the whole concept of the kiln people people overthink this it's a little box that gets really hot and that's all it is it doesn't need to be complex it doesn't need to be high tech I mean you do want it to be efficient and safe and and for our process it needs to be accurate that's why we tell people don't use a programmable uh kiln controller and any older kiln can be retrofitted with a modern controller. So that's not an issue. So yeah, they're becoming more affordable. And there's a couple, I just noted. I can't think of the name of it, but like on Amazon, you're starting to see kilns that would do the job that are under $300.
0: Which is kind of ridiculous, right? Yeah, I don't know
2: if I want a $300 kiln, but...
1: Kilns are all over the place in pottery, in precious metal clay and knife making. So. Um, kilns aren't scarce, no, right. No. Well, let me caveat that with uh the current shortages of various materials and stainless well, yeah. steel, like that. However, um, in kilns are quite common. So, one um, one company that you might look at as you're just getting started is Paragon. Um, they have tabletop kilns that maybe fairly accessible i'm not i'm not super familiar with their line but that's a brand but also there's a website called kiln frog that will show you a really a wide variety i think you input some of the parameters that you need Mm -hmm. and it'll spit out a bunch of different brands for you that's
0: nice is it k-i-l-n-f-r-o-g yes okay i'll 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 put that
1: uh am i saying that right Brad? yes
0: okay i'm gonna put that in the comments so people can see it
2: Right. And all of the kilns that are designed for working with precious metal clay or maybe glass beadwork and things like this. These are increasingly common hobbies where the equipment also just happens to work perfectly with our material Uh, knife making that Tricia mentioned. I I think it's pretty interesting that uh, uh, blacksmithing is trending. I mean, people are getting more and more into it. So now there are, one of our kiln partners is Even Heat and their specialty is heat treatment kilns. So there's people that have very high-tech kiln setups in their workshop for making knives and things like that. It's it's pretty incredible.
1: So yep, yeah, just pay attention to that max temperature. Yeah. Look at the material that you're interested in. Look up the sintering temperature of it, which is listed on the products page of our website and then make sure that the kiln that you're looking at can handle it I
0: mean, literally i'm looking at the paragon sc3 max yep. of 2000 fahrenheit it's seven and three quarter by eight by seven and three quarter so basically it'll fit most parts coming off of a prusa or an ender and it's 1500 bucks and if you're going to take this kind of thing seriously 1500 bucks to drop in the bucket that that's <laughs> what five or six kilos of 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 filament right right at that point if you're going to do this professionally or you're going to do it more than a handful of times it pays to just invest and then you have a whole different hobby that you can play in hi all the other maker adhd sufferers out there <laughs>
2: right and and yeah to, to clarify every part that i made up until about well I started with a Paragon SC2, so mm-hmm. that was what I did all of my development on. It's a perfectly suitable kiln.
1: So the kiln that's behind Brad, or like just to the right of his head, there is it is the kiln that we sell. Okay. Yeah. So yes, definitely we want you to buy our kiln, uh, but you don't have to. Um, and if you if you want to take a look at that model, it's right in the shop.
0: Yeah, right. I'm gonna look at it right now just so I can post a link to it. Um, and
2: the ones that we sell are. They're premium, so like the, the thickness of the brick will be twice as wide as what you would get with the less expensive kiln, things like that. But you don't need to spend a lot of money to be successful.
0: But they're also vetted, right? And from, from a business yeah. standpoint, if you're out there looking for the cheapest thing, you're going to yeah. end up with the cheapest result. And if you yeah. end up spending a little bit of money to get something that's right, that works, that's good from the beginning, you're, you're, your kiln is right at about three thousand, yep. you are going to get a better experience that way yeah your max temp is 2350 fahrenheit 1288 c um honestly it looks a lot cooler too so like you know from that perspective um
1: it's funny that you say that when brad first saw it he really remarked on the look of it as well
2: which, which one are we talking about which uh, model
1: even heat oh right Our- yeah the virtual foundry kiln <clears throat> now, also what's cool about this model is that you can program it from your phone
0: wait what yes yeah. yeah yeah no kidding yeah
2: it's fully smartphone friendly so you can be you know at the bar and check in on your uh, on your center job and see what's up
0: <laughs> don't leave kilns unattended please like I, i'll put that disclaimer there so that if people do it and something goes wrong you, you heard it here, don't do that, right? It's like you should never leave printers unattended, but we all yeah, still they're, do it. They're,
2: they're about the same thing. Things only go wrong when you're not watching.
0: Oh, of course, that's the only time things ever go wrong. Um, so you guys have a ton of materials that, that are available. Uh, Trisha, I wanna hear from you first. What is your favorite material to print with from the Virtual Foundry? Uh,
1: well, I will admit to you that I don't actually do very much printing. Um, I like to have a 3D printer in my office, but it often gets um taken for other projects.
2: It, it'll it'll be there for a while and wow, then we'll Brad. print a bunch of things and
1: <laughs> but I did print a little uh battleship uh-huh. in 174, yeah, for cool. the son of a friend of mine. Um and I printed some tungsten washer parts that we should uh like for this actually.
0: Right. That little,
1: little tiny thing
0: that was metal printed.
1: Pen. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I've done. I, I printed a plastic golf ball trophy statue for the Chamber of Commerce. That was fun.
2: And just we, we've spent all this time talking about sintering materials, but we do have a couple applications where we don't expect the main application to be sintering and that's the our tungsten material okay so tungsten has the highest melting point on the entire periodic table it's i believe kind of ridiculous, yeah. yeah so sintering isn't particularly practical but it's incredibly dense it's about it's about 19 grams per cc so, oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so so this let us make a 3d printing filament that has the general properties of lead Right. So it'll, it blocks radiation. Um, it's used for vibration dampening, things like that. So, yeah, so not all of them are meant to be centered, but you can also, you can center the tungsten. There's 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 tricks and there's strategies. You can you can center it in the presence of a metal that lo- melts at a lower melting point. It'll just absorb it, and, and then you can get to your part that way. So there's so much development to be done on the centering side of things that we we need people to pick us up and and move the ball forward.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at your website it says the sintering temperature for tungsten is 2200 degrees centigrade or about 4000 degrees fahrenheit. Yeah. So basically unless you're Elon Musk and you're able to catapult it into the sun, sintering it is pretty much unattainable by the average human. Yep, you'd have to use lasers, I would guess, to get that kind of heat, right? I,
2: don't, I can't. I mean, there's nothing else that can hold up to the heat to help you get that to that heat.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, but, but but there are things. Start thinking outside the box, and like maybe some plasma strategy, something yeah. like that. There's some. There are things. You just need a plasma containment chamber. <laughs> the...
0: Wait, you don't have one of those laying around?
2: Right, right, all got that. am sure
0: probably... Though. Building
2: one out of right, uh, yeah. down here eventually. Yeah, I, We need
0: a, a, tok- a tokamak. Brad, are, are, are you the resident MacGyver in the shop? Is that is, is that what this is? Uh, yeah. And Trisha's the one that says, don't do this. Please uh, don't right. do this. This is how we have he does comp claims. He does that
1: stuff on the weekend, and I don't know about it. Uh, <laughs> right.
0: That's the trick. We'll see. She's here today. You got to be right. careful.
1: <laughs> Sometimes. Um, sometimes uh, he hasn't necessarily built a new machine in a while, but uh, there was a time when I would come in on Monday and he said, Hey, I made this new machine. We're going to use it for packaging from now on. It has a treadmill motor and a slingshot. It's, it's really incredible. um, The things that Brad is able to create from very little.
0: Was the goal originally with the virtual foundry to just make metal 3d printing more accessible and has it evolved to also kind of taking jabs and stabs at some of the companies that are 10X your price for no valid reason?
2: We uh, we have a class of user that we call the, the spite user. So <laughs> they make things using our process literally out of spite, just because you shouldn't be able to, and that makes it much more interesting. But no, I think the initial motivation was materials. Yeah. Um, I think like most mechanically minded people at that time, this is early 2000s, my first thought when I saw 3D printers, I want to make a 3D printer, but I didn't take long to realize that materials were going to become much more important than the printers. The yep. printers became commoditized. They're just, not, they're just not that important. And I spend a lot of time preaching this, that... It isn't the printer that's important, you know. So all these companies market around having a brand new metal 3D printer. But it's not the printer that's important. They're all the same thing.
1: In the early days of the invention, there was no thought of the competition because there was no competition.
2: Yeah. All
1: of the other technologies came online
0: after.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I filed my patent before Desktop Metal Incorporated.
0: That's pretty cool. Wait a minute. You thought you had it before they incorporated. Is there, is there a claim here that you could be making that you're choosing not to? No. Damn, damn, <laughs> damn. That would have been kind of cool though. Cause right. of course, you know, desktop metal did just buy X one for a right. large sum of money.
2: Um, we're at rapid and I think my favorite comment and we got this from a couple people saying i can't believe uh i can't believe desktop metal hasn't bought you just to shut you up
0: (laughs) honestly i'm kind of surprised about that too (laughs)
2: right
0: because (laughs) this is it it is kind of like putting you're literally just lighting fires under them constantly like oh hey remember that we exist remember that we're a tenth of the price and remember our people are getting just as good quality parts on sub thousand dollar printers and oh yeah we run right. enders in our print farm we gotta yeah. get you guys some prusas i i i, I think that putting some prusas because those are dual gear direct drive all metal hot end they're e3d v6s um and fully open source so it makes life pretty easy i'm surprised oh. that you were all creality
2: uh, yeah trisha needs one for her desk so
0: yeah i do prusa mark three s's they're good machines that,
1: that i will chain to my table so it can't be taken for other projects.
0: <laughs> and then Brad, Brad will learn to pick locks or just cut the or cut the chain. <laughs> um, why do you believe that we should be paying attention to the metal 3D printing technology? What are, why should the average consumer be looking at this?
1: You know, I believe that in the future, everyone will have a 3D printer in their home.
0: I sure hope so. Just
1: that. like they do a computer. Now it's probably not going to look how it does today, right? But people, it will definitely be easy for people to just create objects out of essentially nothing in the future, right? This is the start of that. We're at the very beginning of a man of the next manufacturing revolution. I mean, this technology, and I'm not talking about just the virtual foundry, but all of it together. This technology is as monumental as the invention of the steam engine as the invention of the assembly line we're and we're just at the very beginning of it i mean there's uh, there's everywhere to go with it and it's going to continue to evolve so why should you do it well why wouldn't you do it it's the next thing you're going to be doing it eventually
0: Mm -hmm. it's just a matter of time when right just a matter of time I like it, I like it. Um, where where do we see the virtual foundry in, in you know in 2022? Right, a lot has changed in this industry. You know, I think metal AM as well as SPACs, but that's more public stuff. But I think metal AM was a big, big move last year for companies. Right, a lot of companies were adopting metal AM on. non-trivial scale do you see that continuing into 22
2: yeah absolutely i think a lot of people a lot of people that are in it as a as a hobby or are enthusiasts feel that it's much more mature at an industrial level than it really is it's in its absolute infancy at an industrial level and this was like I spoke of myself being naive when I rolled this out as an invention. And what I didn't understand is that in manufacturing, they won't implement a technology until it's been vetted for years. And, and everything they have installed, uh, they have such a tremendous investment that they have very little motivation to change. And they're not going to change until they're motivated by uh, improvements in cost or time or something like that. So where the virtual foundry is right now, we're heavily um, in research. So national labs are one of our key customers. I think there's 17 of them in the U.S. And and most of them are active customers of ours, uh, Department of Energy, um, uh, students, universities, um, MIT, Harvard, setting up a lab for our product. So as we move through the research part of things, we'll eventually get into the implementation part of things and we're looking forward to it.
0: Nice. You guys have a pretty niche business, right? Like we, we, we don't beat around the bush. There's basically no other competition out there that is not on the industrial side. You all are playing very handily on the consumer prosumer and because we can industrial side. What does it take for you all to stand out and succeed? Because I've I've watched you all for a few years, from a distance, but I've known about it. You all have grown considerably in the past few years. What has it taken to do all that?
1: Persistence.
2: Patience.
1: It, the market needed to develop.
0: Yeah.
1: So, Brad? <laughs> Brad created a product with no market, right? That's the opposite of what you're supposed to do if you want to succeed in business. Yeah,
0: Brad, come on, yeah. God, get good. No, look, I feel the same way, right? It, it's it's education. If people don't know about the technology. It's gonna have a you problem. Yep.
1: So we've we've been waiting for the for the market to develop and mature to even know who we should be talking to. Well, now we got it right. research loves it. Um, Master's students are doing their thesis projects on it and publishing papers. The research branches of the military are looking at it for, we don't, we can't know what applications they're looking at it for, but they're, they're checking it out, right? They're um, working with it for different stuff. Um, And the prosumer, like you mentioned, um, people at home who enjoy investing in their hobbies, a little bit of industry, right? So as the technology goes further, as these students get really familiar with how to get the best result, they're gonna take that into the workplace. This is certainly a long game, but the market is still developing. We're still so early. So what we need to do is just continue to persist, right? And help that market along and uh, help massage those applications and those uses and make sure that people are successful. Our big offering is uh, flexibility and control over every step of the process, which right. is perfect for research.
0: It's research not doesn't, to see that.
1: Right. Research doesn't want to have limits in their design and push a button. You know, they want to work with every step of the process. Now, being able to have design limits and push a button is appropriate for some people, and they really want that. That's not our offering. So um, just continuing to talk to the people who... Appreciate possibility, appreciate flexibility, appreciate control.
0: I like it. Um, Are there markets that you had initially identified as good keys that have (laughs) either not worked out at all or ones that you've missed that have been amazing?
1: Yeah. Automotive, right? We thought the same thing. Oh, we're all going to be printing car parts with it. Brake pads and rotors. And here we go. No, that's not it. We had to figure that out ourselves. Um, two, before we could start telling other people that that's not, that's not where it is. And the one that we missed was research. So education has been our largest buying segment from the very beginning, and we still were thinking about industry, manufacturing, automotive. So we've had to adjust our own idea of uh, what the technology is appropriate for, and then we, uh, now we're talking to the right people.
0: Is Is there a market out there that you you're like this is this has got to be one they just got to figure out that we can do this like one where education is kind of that 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 big factor that's missing
2: i don't think so i think what's happening is people are finding solutions to finding new solutions to problems that have existed for quite a while so now that we have a new method of making parts it's appropriate to apply it to some things that have been confounding. So yeah, that's that's a it's kind of a tricky question, but most of it is most of it is new applications, things that haven't been done before.
0: Right. Okay. We have a question from Bill Todd. Can you combine parts prior to sintering so they produce a single object?
2: Yes, they'll they will weld.
0: How do you do they,
1: that? They they need to be they need to have the same sintering temperature.
2: Like right. like like metals, I'm 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 saying like two bronze parts can be sintered into one part.
0: How do you make sure that they actually get sintered together?
2: Proximity. It's got to be as long as it's nice and tight, indirect contact, and a very a clean surface. A like a grain of sand in between there would will wreck it. So you you need perfection, uh, but yeah, it, you can do it that
0: way. I mean, can you
1: also can you also um, Brad kind of do a do a use a three D printing pen to draw a line of filament at the joint yeah. to help that as well.
2: Yep, yeah, and you can weld it. And this is something we're encouraging more is the three D pen type stuff,
1: yeah.
2: and uh and a soldering iron. So you can post process your part after it's been three D printed and continue to manipulate it. That makes sense.
0: That's how we do it in the non-metal-laden FDM. I just... In my head, I'm like, no, you don't want to use a 3D pen because it'll destroy it, but... And it probably will destroy it, but, like, they're they're 30 bucks.
2: Oh, the pen? No, the pens work. No. Destroy the part or destroy the pen? The
0: pen. It'll destroy the pen.
2: Nope. No, they work forever. Here's a part. I called this my freehand metal project. I don't know if you can see it.
0: Yeah.
2: So, I just it's just ooze I ran out onto a piece of paper and then sintered so we just used the five dollar ebay three printing pens Hmm. and you can sort of use it like uh like filler material when you're welding
0: yeah it's like it's like it's a hand tig welder basically yeah yeah okay so does does the that welding process does that affect the shrinkage rate because if you've got two walls that are touching, those walls are going to try to separate some, wouldn't they?
2: It can. This um, one of the things you have to watch for is delamination. Right. So w- when you're um, when you're printing a your part, this is part of designing for additive manufacturing. You want your infill to overlap the walls slightly so everything is well attached. Otherwise, yes, you can have. Uh, places that I don't have enough metal will tend to de- delaminate
0: okay interesting this is so cool i can we talk a little bit about the dfam process some things that people should be looking out for when they're looking to design for this because i, I know i don't know if dom is still in here geek toy box um he seems to be very interested in this and I think initially a lot of us might choose to use the printing service where we design the part, we send it to you, it gets printed, sintered and then shipped back to us so that we can get a feel for it before we're ready to drop, you know, the kind of coin on getting some rolls ourselves. So what are some tips and tricks to more or less ensuring success when it comes to metal 3D printing?
2: Um, keep it simple. Um, large, large solid objects are more challenging than simple thin ones. And right, here's where, just where I was about to go. Generative design makes parts that are perfect for our process. And this is, um, and if you look the way the parts are shaped, the organic, uh, the organic nature of generative design. Right. Those work great
0: hard to print that stuff but yeah it's pretty
1: well you need a um computer program to make it for you um you know your slicer is going to apply supports where it needs to but the cool thing about generative design i get excited about this topic too um you know it's only applying material where it needs to be so in the picture on the right here this larger picture with the four different parts Mm -hmm. In the upper left one, you can see this part clearly was made for the manufacturing process of machining. Right. It started as, as a block, material was carved away. And then as we move to the right, hmm. this part in the lower right was made for the manufacturing process of 3D printing. So we were now, you wouldn't machine that part, it wouldn't, it would absolutely not be practical. But with 3D printing, awesome. Your slicer's gonna apply ports and um, you can 3D print it in a cinch. So generative design allows for lightweighting everything. It allows mm-hmm. for combining assemblies. And uh, we're gonna start seeing more things like this as we go into the future. So objects the objects around us are gonna start looking different.
2: Yeah, it also lets you use higher performance materials where you wouldn't necessarily wanna machine that from titanium, 3D printing it from titanium uses only a few grams of material and you get a much more high performance part right. so the the price point shifts when you go from subtractive to additive manufacturing it's just a different game
0: definitely is yeah that i've wanted to play around with generative design but boy that's a that's a different animal to say the least yes different. now animal.
1: brad could you a regular i don't really, you're not a regular person, you have incredible talents, but could a regular person um, go into their normal Autodesk program and generative, delete, design something themselves, or does it take the computer to do it?
2: Um, You, basically what you do, and auto, this is the Autodesk strategy, you go into Fusion 360, and you'll create a part What you do is you're giving it parameters. You're telling it's going to have this amount of pressure in this direction on this area. So it's more of a data input task than it is an engineering task, which is the other part that's interesting about the whole concept is the descaling of high-tech engineering. That's a whole different topic. Um, But yeah, at that point, in the Fusion 360 model you hit go and it goes up into the cloud and they iterate through hundreds of thousands of versions and then give one back to you that you might like. So no, you don't directly create a generatively designed part, but you can create things that look sort of like that. And if you use that as your model when you're, when you're designing parts, they print well and they center well. So it's not a bad strategy, and there's a term for it, and I meant to look it up before this, and I forgot. But
0: you're fine. I don't know it either, so we're we're good. Maybe we'll get lucky, and someone in the comments will know and be able to tell us. Well, but.
2: well they use it for light so you'll have what used to be a solid part, but instead it's made out of uh, uh, thin bars and such. But, oh.
0: I'm drawing a blank too.
1: (laughs) Is it topological optimization? Which I also like to say because it took me a while to be able to say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Eh, Nope. It's all good. I want to shift back to the the business side of things, Trisha. What was it like kind of going into a a president role of the company and then watching it kind of mold itself, if you will, through this process over the past few years? What was it like for you?
1: It's been, um, every day is very interesting. It's been incredibly challenging. Um, I've definitely grown a significant amount through the process. Entrepreneurship itself is not for the faint of heart and launching a new technology into a non-existent market is definitely, uh, requires some persistence and resilience. Um, but it's incredibly rewarding. I, I, it's like watching a child grow up, um, you know, when they gain skills and they learn how to navigate the world and then they start doing it sort of independently. So um, it's, it's kind of like that and my job is to nurture it along and guide it on its path. Um, it's, it's very rewarding and it's exciting. I love working with people from all over the world. Um, so just watching the whole thing emerge and create its own life is really incredible.
0: What were some unexpected challenges that that you dealt with by being thrust into the uh, kind of in, into the the public face of the company basically
1: oh well i didn't I did not expect um, some of the unfinished projects that I walked into uh, in the very beginning like the Kickstarter that Greg was talking about um and then also this trophy project that he had committed to um that was brad what was it the 3d printing industry award oh
2: oh, hang on i have an image here i want to yeah this is this is its own story
1: and grant said he's having michael Patch from 3dpi on his podcast in a few weeks yep um i asked him about it brad had committed to making something like 27 of these things um, they're absolutely beautiful. Um, but you can see it's a really complicated shape. Yeah, so, yeah. um, yes. So he's, I think there was a contest and someone picked the shape. So, and they, the final product is a trophy, um, that was, that was sent out to all the winners. So these are all centered too. They went through the printing, divining and centering process in a brand new technology that had only existed for a couple of years and was still rough, um, in this very complicated shape. And when I first saw these things, I had no idea the complexity involved here. I just knew that these things needed to get made because the people were really asking for them and we were way overdue. Right. Um, so shoring up some of those early, um, projects that was a little bit surprising. Um, but I think also the just the people that I was going to get to talk to, and the um, people in the universities, and the people in the military, and the people, um, the super creative people who are working with three D printing in general, um, I, I didn't really realize the hyper creativity of the industry that I was walking into. Yeah, um, and all and also the hyper-creativity of just the virtual foundry itself and everything that Brad does and puts together. So um, that's been, that's been really cool. Yeah.
2: And, and it's all these people and we kind of, most of the people that are users at home are, you know, they work in high tech. So we kind of get to follow along and get involved in these situations where we're getting to know people that are working on just crazy projects that you just, The world has gotten so much smaller since I started this company. I I think that's one of my key observations.
1: Well, one thing that really surprised me and I loved was that there is a name for money in space and it's called the Or I don't I haven't looked it up. Hold on. Let me look it up before I say it again. Um, But there's a whole name for the economy of um, money in space and money that can be made in space. No, nope, I'm, I'm not going to get it. I should have said it. Um, but I got really excited about that. I never really cared that much about space from a scientific perspective. Um, but when I learned about that business can be done there, that was very exciting to me. And we got this Moondust project and that one's been going on for a while. That was another early project. And um, hearing that there are some products that are more economical to make in space, like you take the stuff up put them together up there and then bring them back down. Like, what? That's crazy. So uh, learning about stuff like that and stuff that can happen in space and all of the new stuff that's possible because of 3D printing and additive manufacturing technology, that's really awesome. Yeah. It's dope, like the kids say.
2: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, oh, I want to. I want to take a moment and go back to the trophies. So yeah. this is one. Of, this is one of a, a young entrepreneurial's naivety. Um, I thought that I was going to make those, and everybody was going to see them and fall in love. And it was going to be. It was more. It was sort of like a publicity stunt for me at the time. Right. And and I committed to this just as we were moving out of the basement. So Trisha said it was technology that was two years old. It was more like six months old at that point. So I made the trophies, but it, um, I have pictures of sort of like the CEO of Stratus who's holding on and, and people like that. So I was able to put parts into the hands of executives in the largest 3D companies in the world. <clears throat> it was a gimmick that really uh, didn't, didn't, didn't pay off.
0: Some of these things... You know, I I make these decisions. I made a lot of those decisions early on where it's like probably shouldn't have done it. like that, But, you know, whatever we did it, we're here. Uh, But it is you kind of have to learn the hard way unless you have someone that's going to hold your hand and walk you through the the valley of shadow and death that is running your own business as a creative. It is incredibly difficult to do that because historically speaking, no offense to creatives. We're not great business people. No offense to great business people, not always great creatives. And to find someone that has both of those skills is pretty amazing. And Trisha seems to be running a lot more of the business side while you get to do all the fun, creative things. But it seems like there is a lot of crosstalk that occurs there. And that's nice, right? A lot of businesses will say, you just go do your job, leave me alone, let me do mine. Whereas this seems more like you guys are talking constantly. There's, there is oh, there yeah. is a working relationship that is good. And I like seeing that. It's not often that we get. To interview more than one person from a company at a time it's also not often that the two people that we get to interview are both incredibly intelligent in very specific fields but have a lot of crosstalk back and forth that that to me is a lot of the value here but from the small business aspect doing those types of events making the trophies and uh you know doing the greater good cause projects that you at least think are greater good in the beginning they really do help add some of that mental stability that you need in the business from time to time you know the, the secret that is unfortunately not spoken enough is that building a business is incredibly taxing on not just your wallet but on your mind how do you relax and take a break away from the business because before we we went live brad you were telling me that you kind of more or less live at the shop at this point you're always there making cool stuff you being at the shop on a saturday is not unreasonable where trisha was only a half mile away and decided wanted to do it from the shop because she's got the cooler background uh
2: uh, right so i i have the luxury of the sort of my profession here blurs into my hobbies and my passions. So they're all kind of the same thing. So for getting away from it, um, I have a newborn granddaughter. So
0: congratulations.
2: Thank you. And this has actually had uh, a pretty significant impact on how I deal with things at the shop. So it's, it's been an interesting shift in perspective. Um, I've lived here for, I've lived in the shop 24 seven 7 not not literally but you know worked that yeah. hard for the last seven years so it's uh time to change things up a little bit
0: have you uh made her any 3d printed metal toys yet
2: uh, no not yet
0: that's on the that's on the future plan though right <clears throat> yeah
2: she can have all she wants
0: <laughs> spoiler rotten right the way you should <laughs> well this has been awesome i i, I want to thank both of you for coming out Trisha. Thank you so much for one agreeing to do this two setting it up and convincing Brad that he should come on and hang out too. Um, th- this has been amazing. And you know, I, 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 we've talked previously with Sarah Gerke from Nexa 3d about how we need to be pushing a lot more of DEI in the industry and showing off the women powerhouses that run a lot of these companies yeah. and Trisha. Yeah all boxes ticked right there, right? You, you, you are so great at this. You, you, it's like you were born to do this.
2: Yeah, there is, there is no virtual foundry without Trisha.
1: Thank you for saying that. I do feel as though I've found my home in entrepreneurship and I am very thankful that I get to be a part of this project.
0: Yeah. Anything you guys want to, want to end with? Anything you want to tell people? Any shout outs you want to give?
1: Well, I would like to um, say something in defense of the creativity of business people in that um, business is its own art. So um, business people are very creative in the art of business.
2: There's lots of problem solving to be done. That's for certain.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you both for coming out. I, I would love to do this again sometime in the future like when you're releasing a new material we can kind of show it off here live i think that'd be a lot of fun we we'll would definitely have to keep in touch and i am going to be getting myself some material because i have a feeling we should be making a video or two about printing metal and what it takes to upgrade a standard ender 3 to print metal filament i think that would be a lot of fun it might give me a good reason to buy a kiln so yeah And I'm sure the better three quarters would hate to have a way for her to do more precious metal clay and, and other, Mm -hmm. you know, creative projects. So I'm sure we can figure something out, but nice. Thank you both for coming out guys. Go through the description. There's tons of extra information there links, the virtual foundry, go take a look, get some parts, get some filament if you're feeling adventurous and make awesome that's what this podcast is called for a freaking reason everybody here makes awesome one way or another and we are incredibly excited and privileged to have you know the the virtual foundry here um but anyways stay safe out there don't forget to call your loved ones and as always keep making awesome with awesome people like the virtual foundry season two episode 24 leave a like on the video and subscribe and the things i'm supposed to say as a youtuber (laughs) (laughs) Take care.